peoples of the worldwide federated internet what's good So I was trying to figure out, hold on, let me, let me make some adjustments near my computer before I start. My video might jump around a little bit, so forgive me. Well, I guess I'll keep talking while I'm doing this and while my video is jumping around. So I was thinking about what do I study next after the Gospel of John? And I think I'm going to try this. I don't know how long I'm going to do this and... If I'm if I'll break away from it, but I think I've I've been enjoying studying through entire books and the videos I'm doing, they're not exhaustive, so I'm not necessarily going over every intricate detail, uh, every doctrinal point, every point of contention. I'm just kind of going over the high points and really in a lot of ways refamiliarizing myself with the Bible and really refamiliarizing is probably not a good word. I'm going to say familiarizing. Um, I got saved when I was a young man, you know, in my twenties, 20, uh, to be exact, it's either 19 or 20, pretty sure it's 20. Um, and what I understood about Bible study back then, even up until two, three years ago is, is different. I've matured. Um, I've read through, you know, the Bible. I've read through books a couple times over, but I've never done. There's a difference between reading through a book and taking some time to read a book and actually take it all in. And I realized that sometimes in our effort to study the Bible, we'll go through a book and we're trying to understand maybe some deep theological idea that other people have gone over or we're trying to, you know, get familiar with a certain Bible doctrine. And I realize in doing that, there's a there's a there's a, a tendency to not really focus, but blow past things. And there's also a tendency to try to make things that, you know, make things up that's not really there. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to put this into words to get you to understand why I'm doing things the way I do it now. And why I say familiarizing myself versus re-familiarization. Because I realized the way I approached Bible study years ago didn't really give me an accurate picture of the Bible because... What I was doing is I was I was taking a Bible verse by verse, which you can do that. But in taking a Bible verse by verse, I wasn't thinking about any of the of the other portions of the Bible. So I was isolating everything like if I was reading a book or I was reading a verse, I would isolate everything down to that verse instead of saying, all right, how does this verse fit within the theme of this book? 
And how does this book fit within the theme of the rest of the Bible? That that is that is really changed not what the Bible says, but it it has changed my understanding because I see the areas where I was wrong and how my thought process wasn't truly representative of what the Bible is actually teaching. So I'm going to make an attempt to go through the book of Exodus. So I did Genesis and then I went through the book of uh, the gospel of John. Now I'm coming back and I'm going to do the book of Exodus. I'm not telling you again that this is exhaustive because it is not. There's things I don't understand that I assure you if I don't understand, I'm going to read a verse and I'm going to let you know. I don't really know how to break this down, so I'm just going to move forward because I, I, the mentality I have now, I'm not telling you you have to have the mentality that I have, but I'm telling you what has helped me is I don't have to figure everything out right now. I'm not going to figure everything out right now, but as I figure things out, I'll go back, I'll read, I'll study, and then I'll read some more. That really helps me and it keeps me from being discouraged because, oh, I don't know what this means or I don't know what they're saying here. Yeah, if I don't know what something means or I don't understand something, all right, cool. I'll come back to that. Lord willing, I'll understand that later. Anyway, without further ado, the book of Exodus, chapter one, verse one. Let's get into this. All right. Now these are the names of the children of Israel, which came into Egypt. Every man and his household came with Jacob. I'm going to, I'm going to say something before I read um, these list of names. Nothing in the Bible is mentioned haphazardly, right? Things that are here are here because they're supposed to be here. They mean something and they're helpful in some way. I am not necessarily the resource, the best resource for understanding that deeply. I'm going to mention a name. Me mentioning this name does not mean everything this man says is right. It does not mean you hang on his every word. He's a good resource. Uh, he's he's uh, no longer alive. His name is Chuck Missler. Chuck Missler, when it comes to reading the Bible and taking these seemingly inconspicuous details that most of us blow past he looked into heavily and he has some ideas about these things that are actually pretty interesting i'm not going to say they're dogmatically true but they're pretty interesting and they're not unbelievable so when it comes to names places and things like that it'll, it'll be a good idea to just look into chuck missler a lot of interesting things um are said by him. And like I said, that, that doesn't mean that I'm saying everything he said is correct. I'm just saying he's a good resource for things like that. So anyway, now let me read this, these names, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher, and all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were 70 souls for Joseph was in Egypt already. So if you remember from uh, our study through the book of Genesis, Joseph was in Egypt. Uh, God used 
the situation where his brothers pretty much sold him out to their advantage, actually. And Joseph being in, in Egypt actually protected them from the famine and gave them a place of refuge during this time of turmoil on a planet at that time. So they're in Egypt. Things are good. Um, they were put on some good land. They, you know, are faring very well. And that's where we left off in the in the book of Genesis. So where am I at? All right. So verse six and Joseph died and all his brethren and all that generation. So a generation is passed. Uh, Joseph, all his brothers, uh, Jacob, they all passed away. So now we're going into another generation. Um, and the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty. And the land was filled with them. So they're multiplying. They're being fruitful. <laughs> they're doing exactly what God told uh, told us to do in the book of uh, Genesis. Be fruitful and multiply. They took it to heart. Now, the, now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. So, you know, generations pass and information is lost, which... Coincidentally, this is there's there is in the books of the Bible teachable moments, right? And it, here's a teachable moment: you, the generations below you, the generations that come after you, should probably hear, know, and learn the things that you know. Now we know that that things were gonna, you know, we're gonna play out a certain way, um, but. So how different would the story would this account be had information about Joseph and his family been passed down from generation to generation? If if it would have been known, hey, Joseph and his wisdom, the wisdom he got from the most high God of heaven and earth, who he worshiped, actually protected Egypt from famine and made us a world power. What what kind of different respect would the people of Israel have gotten from the Egyptians had this been wide knowledge, right? Uh, clearly, this wasn't passed down. Uh, somehow, this information was lost because this new king over Egypt did not know Joseph. He should have definitely known who Joseph is because this is part of the Egyptians' history, Right. And he said unto his people, behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Verse 10, come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply and it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us and so get them up out of the land now had he had this king known about joseph like i said and what he did would this have been his mentality to joseph i don't i don't think it would have been but again teachable moment teach the generations below you the things that you have is is a common saying and and I'm not trying to loosely apply, you know, 
I'm not trying to loosely apply things from the Bible, but again, like I said, teachable moments. Those who are not familiar with history are doomed to repeat it. And and that's just true. That's a fact. The the information older generation has should be passed down to the younger generation. Now the problem we have nowadays is younger people don't want to listen. That's a whole nother topic and a whole nother set of problems. Um verse eleven. Therefore, they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Fitham and Ramses. So they used the Jewish people at this time as cheap labor, cheap labor, free labor. They were slaves. <laughs> uh, verse 12. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. Now, this is something that I'm, I'm kind of thinking, and we don't necessarily have this said here, but I'm, I'm always, when I read my Bible, just like when I look at, when I look at history, when I look at politics, when I look at social issues, my, my line of thinking goes this way. The story of human history, the account of human history is an account of God's creation and Satan's I'm trying to figure out how to put it. Satan's quest to mock God and destroy his creation. That That's how I look at the count of human history. So when I see things like this, I'm not just thinking about what's going on physically. I'm thinking about what's going on behind this. I think about what, what God said to Eve and Adam and the serpent in the garden. And I think, again, like I said, when I was going through the gospel of John, Satan is not all knowing. And there's a there's a teaching. Uh, very prevalent about the devil that would make it seem like he is all knowing. And I think people don't realize that. That that's what they're in in essence saying, and that's false. He's not all knowing. So if you're not all knowing, but you do know one thing that you will come to an end. You we've I'm trying to figure out how to put this in words to convey it. We've all seen if if you've read through Bible accounts, the the pride of Satan, right, wants to be in the place of God, right? So you're you're a being that is so prideful you believe you can take the place of the most high god of heaven and earth so you would spare no expense so to speak go through every length to thwart something that you don't really understand and i think that's what this falls in a category of the children of israel are multiplying i do believe that that these that what happened with this new king in Egypt, I think those those thoughts, I think uh, those ideas were placed in his heart by Satan to destroy 
the children of Israel because probably the idea is you destroy these people. These are the people that, that God pulled out of the land. These are the people that God has chosen for this specific purpose in time. So if you destroy these people, you thwart God's plan. That's probably in my in my mind, my thinking, that's probably what's going on behind the scenes. I'm not saying that emphatically. I'm not telling you that this is doctrine. This is just what I'm thinking as I'm reading through uh, my Bible. All right. So verse 12. Uh, they multiplied. Yeah. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. That word, let me go to my dictionary. It's one of those words I'm pretty sure many of us have ever heard, but not a word that I think is used often or at all. So that word rigor means stiffness, rigidness as uh, Gorgonian rigor. Never heard that before. Um, stiffness of opinion or temper, uh, severity, sternness, severity of life, austerity, um, voluntary submission to pain. Uh, abstinence or mortification, strictness, exactness, without allowance, latitude or indulgence, uh, violence, fury, hardness, uh, solidity, severity, uh, asperity. Never heard that word before. So they lived a hard life. This was not easy. Uh, verse 14, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar and in brick and in all manner of service in the field. All their service when they made them serve was with rigor. And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives of which the name of the one was Shifra and the name of the other Pua. And he said, when you do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them upon the stools and it be a son, then ye shall kill him. But if it be a daughter, then she shall live. So clearly, what Pharaoh's trying to do is he's trying to get rid of their ability to procreate, but we all know how that plays out if you've read through this before. But the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children alive. And the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said unto them, Why have ye done this thing and have saved the men children alive? And the midwives said unto Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are lively and are delivered ere the midwives 
come in unto them. Therefore, God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. And it came to pass the midwives feared God that he made. Uh, and it came to pass because the midwives feared God that he made them houses and Pharaoh charged all his people saying every son that is born ye shall cast into the river and every daughter ye shall save alive. This is a, a very good example of people being ordered to do something that's definitely not in line with the most high God of heaven and earth. And those people doing the opposite of what they commanded and making sure they do as God commands. If you, if you ever had a thought of what should I do if I'm ordered to do something that is definitely against God and against the Bible, well, that's clearly not something you should do. If you ever had a thought in your head that you should obey some entity, whether it be government, king, president, ruler, whatever, over God. There's many examples in a Bible. You have the example of the apostle Peter when they told him not to preach the gospel. And he was like, yo, look, y'all decide what's good, what's bad, what's wrong. And your eyes, as far as us, we going to preach this gospel real quick. Do what you got to do. So again, we see what happened with the children of Israel multiplying. Here's a side thought too. Or so Pharaoh, again, I'm thinking about what's going on behind the scenes. The king, Pharaoh, wanted to kill all the male children. He wanted to eliminate their ability to procreate. That sound familiar to you? That also happened in the Gospels when the Lord Jesus Christ was born. There was an edict, there was a decree to have all the male children killed. Uh, that, that's a theme I'm noticing, and that's why I say there's definitely something going on behind the scenes, more than meets the eye, something going on in this in a in a spiritual realm. And there's a method to that madness. There's something that that wicked one is trying to do. What is it? Y'all know what it is. Stay frosty, people.